Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Treehouse, episode 43. Blazing Salads, with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Yes, it is. A very good morning to everybody. Here we go again, with another five hours of fun for old and young, without the slightest hint of vulgarity. And the reason I increase the imaginary uh, length of the show, perhaps, a very good morning Mm -hmm. to you, perhaps, uh, is um, because we we have an avalanche of stuff, not only from the uh, steamed and pressed listenership, but uh, the usual preamble I give to the show, which I try to make as concise as possible. Uh, which I was sitting upstairs and going through the usual uh, bureaus I look at and thinking, no, not another one, not another <laughs> one, not another one. Uh, so uh, I, I'll probably spread them out over the next few uh, programs. Uh, if you've never heard us before, well, we, we knuckle straight down to the show and what we try to do is take a, a, a deed poll for people's opinions and anecdotes mm-hmm. for the ages, for the ages. Scrutinise. Uh, scrut- with an intense mm. scrut. Uh, uh, but for instance, here we, here's, I could tell you this, and already here we are spreading out in all directions, perhaps. I, the shower I was having before the show, if you can bear to sustain such a revolting thought, the shower I was having before the show, I wrote a song in the shower, and I don't oh. know what to do with it. It is one of the great earworms of all time. Oh. It, may, it, you know, it, it makes baked potato look like a lot of fuss about nothing. I may at some point, if we get slow, bring you a brand new song. Let me put that another way. The only song I've ever written. <laughs> but this is this is this is strange Go because on. that no. relates to my story of a dream. Oh, that we had one of our topics is about uh, dreams. I dreamt last week that I was with my mum and we were listening to a 60s sort of Mersey beat tune. I had never heard it before and it was a really good song. And my mum said in the dream, oh, I learned to play the guitar to this. My mum's never played the guitar in her life. And I woke up and I suddenly thought, I wrote a song in that dream. I had never heard that song. That's how yesterday got going. I wrote that song. Now I couldn't tell you a note or a word of it. But I had a moment of, I wrote a really good... I, I, 60 I, song in my sleep. In my interview with Michael Jackson, uh, if you will, he kept saying, a lot of my Ds come to me in, in, in sleep. 
And I had no idea what a D's was. And as we left, I said to the press officer, did he say D's? She went, yes, melody. That's what he called melodies. Never heard it before or since. No. Anyway, you have a lot in common if that's not a slander. Uh, uh, but I, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> it's I, I've, been never said before. I, uh, I've, I've got this, uh, and I may at one point drop this live on the internet, this film. I may have something to drop. But we, look, look, stop dragging us into the world of dreams before we introduce it. Because today, when I looked at it, uh, and not only is it my, my the person without whom my life would not be the same, Edward Lear, is born today, mm. I'm having to skate past the great Lear. By the way, the show starts any second now. This is not the show. If you've not heard it before, this, is, this isn't the show. We're, we're not one of those podcasts where two people sit around blathering. <laughs> leaves gap uh, but because it is all of your input to come but um uh, this the show starts in a second so i've had to skate past the great edward lear wow because, uh, i thought i was going to skate straight past the other uh, Flor- florence nightingale's birth birthday oh. and, and it always cheers me up because we know what her pet was don't we peps well florence nightingale's pet was famous uh, for it. uh, uh but there is no wiki page it was an owl, and she kept it in oh. her pocket. She, she known as the lady. She known as the lady with the lamp, but she was actually the lady with the owl, and she kept an owl in her pocket. Uh, Mary Nightingale, Florence Nightingale. The reason I changed it to Mary there is because, in my diligent research, I noticed that her very best friend was Mary Clark, Clarkie, and Clarkie. It turns out was a sensation. We need more Mary Clarks, perhaps, and less owls in this world. Uh, Clarkie was um, an ex- not an eccentric, a powerhouse of a woman. Called Clarkie in her day, she was a British-born Paris Salon hostess. Oh, and, my oh, dream. My dream. Listen to this. A Paris Salon hostess. The, sh- the show starts in a second, but here we go. Uh, I haven't got round to Yogi Bear, which was going to be my main theme. <laughs> so, but Clarkie, uh, in 1838, her father took the family on tour in Europe, this is uh, Florence Nightingale, where she was introduced to the English-born Parisian hostess Mary Clark, known as Clarkie. They bonded straight away. Clarkie was a stimulating hostess who did not care for her appearance, and while her ideas did not always agree with those of her guests, she was incapable of boring anyone. Her behaviour was said to be exasperating and eccentric, and she had no respect for upper-class British women, who she regarded generally as inconsequential. She said that if given the choice between being a society woman or a galley slave, she would choose the freedom of the galleys. <laughs> and you go on and on and on with Clarkie. It, uh, it, she says that uh, uh, Florence was inseparable for her. Uh, in 1847, Clarkie married Julius von Mold, uh, the son of the Prime Minister to the King of Württemberg. It was said that someone coughed when she gave her age at the marriage, and so it was recorded as 39. <laughs> <laughs> ah, isn't that something? That's uh, a good friend as well. Uh, her, her groom was about 47. Henry James described how Madame Merle used to drop out of an omnibus, often into a mud puddle, and arrive unfazed at the door, delighting everyone with her originality and freshness. I can see her now, said Merle, her feet on the fender before the fire, talking rapidly, her hair flying, and her general untidiness so marked as to be picturesque. Oh! <laughs> And you read, the more you read about she is terrific. By the way, a salon is defined as a gathering of people under the roof of an inspiring host, held partly to amuse one another and partly to refine the taste and increase the knowledge of the participants through conversation. Now this, if that isn't uh, this show, (laughs) I know we've called it, um, uh, what we've called it, Blazing Salads, but (laughs) this is a salon. Now what we'll do, tell us what we're doing, we'll get on with the show and I'll drop in both my song and the extraordinary story of Yogi Bear. Uh, (laughs) later on in the programme. What are we doing, Peps? 
Uh, number one, monsters and illnesses your parents made up. Mm, like the screaming abdabs. Yeah. Number two, don't talk to me about fruit. Mm -hmm. Number three, not being believed. Mm -hmm. Number four, why buy baby that? And as we've heard from me, number five, your best and worst dreams, brackets, be succinct. Now, we know putting your head in a lion's mouth, asking people about their dreams, people roll their eyes, and quite rightly. So we've asked people to be succinct, because uh, one of my favourite old lines is, nobody wants to hear about other people's dreams. You know, that Martin Luther King, for example. Come on, get on with the speech. But, uh, uh, so, but we have some absolute pips and dandies from you in the way that we know and trust our audience. Give us something, Peps. Well, not being believed, this starts uh, with Steve. <laughs> My favourite example is a very simple one. My friendship group at university was built on the solid foundation of watching football at the pub, especially England games. Going to university in Aberystwyth meant we, were equal, we became especially partisan and vocal in the face of local opposition, and the locals would quite rightly cheer for whoever England were playing. We enjoyed this so much that we would trek back there for many years after graduating to sit in the same pub just oh. to watch England play. On one such occasion in 2001, England travelled to Germany for the vital World Cup qualifier. You may recall the result, 5-1, even Heskey scored, as goes mm -hmm. the song. <laughs> we emerged from the pub shortly after full-time, utterly delirious and worse for wear. And jubilantly marching down the street, a group of Welsh girls stopped us and asked us to score. 5-1 to England, we exclaimed. They told us, in no uncertain terms, to F off. Hmm. We saw it was true. They wouldn't believe us. There was no way that England would have beaten Germany 5-1 in their own backyard. And in this being the days before smartphones, there was no way for us to verify uh -huh. it. In the end, we had to shrug and make our own way onwards. My big regret being we never got to be there when they discovered we were telling the truth. Oh, not being believed. This is a, 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 We had um, quite a, a, a glut of these uh, a long time ago about people running into Paul McCartney just as McCartney jumped into a cab after a conversation with them and then their friends walked around us. Guess who I've just been talking to? <laughs> uh, mainly they tend to be about Beatles before. But again, <laughs> I, I'm sorry if I sound particularly breathless on this one. Uh, all of these things that overwhelm me, including uh, writing a song, which I'll unveil later on in the programme, a cappella. Uh, I, I meant to start because out of nowhere, Peps, uh, an email came in uh, because Andy, who sent it, didn't know what else to do with it. And I meant to start the show with it before I got lost in Florence Nightingale's Pocket Owl, and Mary Clark and her salon, and Yogi Bear and Edward Lear, all of which we will find time for over the years. But this from Andy requires our most wondrous uh, music behind, because listen to this, Peps, okay. and uh, uh, I, I did actually, it's one of the few things I flagged last night. This, everybody, is a moment. What are you doing? Sit down if you're in any way. Maybe this is what inspired my song. Later on, that will explain itself. Listen to this. I'm hoping you can help me out, or maybe somebody on the treehouse. My father passed away three years ago. He was a social worker in Dorset. And one of his clients in the early 80s was Mickey Finn, of late of T-Rex. Now, Mickey had been thrown out of his lodgings and his, relationship was a bit, and his relationship was a bit down on his luck when my father became his social worker. Mickey had long left the pop scene and had nowhere to live, so moved into a caravan with his mother and I think it was his sister. Me and my dad helped him move all his gear out of his house, and I was aware of T-Rex as a 12-year-old in 82, but was far more interested then in punk and not these hippies. My dad's shed was rammed with T-Rexophemia, 
stage costumes, percussion instruments, boxes and boxes of T-Rex albums from around the world, books, pictures, you name it. The hours I spent playing with all this gear was endless, dressing up in them and playing the bongos and reading the books. I became a real fan. Four years later, Mickey got himself sorted out and moved house and he wanted his gear back, so came in a van to my dad's to pick it up. Once the van was full, there was still some stuff left, a box of Japanese Top of the Pops type picture albums, letters, etc., and boxes of quarter-inch tapes. He left them. It has only been recently that we rediscovered these tapes and the recordings of the, of the band that are on them. I'm not sure if, if they're particularly special. There seem to be versions of White Swan, Hot Love, Woodland Rock, Boland's Blues, Honey Don't. There are two tapes of Mickey Finn which appear to be unreleased material. Both, I think, are albums where he sings with an unnamed woman and another possibly laying down new work. I have my dad's old Reeboks and I played them for any hints of what else might be on them, but with no luck. I wrote to Bob Harris in 2003 when Mickey died and we tried to contact his family to get the tapes back to him. Dad always wanted to do the right thing as a very keen music fan and a collector of many records. Being a listener to the Treehouse, I thought you might know what I could do with this stuff and give me some advice on what to do with it. Now, people, Mickey Finn, of course, was the other half of T-Rex during their pomp, to say the least. Uh, and this fellow has, uh, as he said now, uh, boxes of quarter-inch tapes, uh, ephemera, letters, etc., etc. Now, Andy, um, I know um, Daniels, who leads the T-Rex to see um, tribute band, and he's pretty much the authority on it. I'll get in touch with him. But that made my heart race faster when I read that bit. Oh, I thought you were going to say, but we'd moved house and we'd left no, it all in the shed. And no, it, 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 apparently... Oh, this I'm is so the relieved stuff. they've still got it. They've still got it, and but, but what to do with it? I mean, this is, we don't know what it is, and this is like when, do you remember when um, uh, we opened that uh, safe on, on Five Live, that was, somebody had a safe that uh, they'd been in their cellar since they bought the house and never opened. It was Al Capone's vault all over again, and... Uh, they opened it live on air and there was two VHS tapes in it with nothing particularly interesting on them. <laughs> and also, it. a year or so back, our George Harrison tape. Oh, yes! With the great George Harrison. Explain to people, where, somebody called up and said... I've Someone been, called up, a relative had passed away and yeah. they were going through the house and they found a drawer that sort of said 1969 George Harrison interview. Real big, real American real. radio station, wasn't it, or something? Yep. and it couldn't be found anywhere. And they, couldn't, they didn't have a reel-to-reel -reel machine so they sent it in to us mm -hmm. and we played it live on the radio. Great mm -hmm. excitement to discover it was some sort of agricultural expert with the name George, George Harrison. <laughs> it, it did, the, the, the tape didn't lie. It was George Harrison. It was just a George Harrison, not the George Harrison. The so I, I don't believe these squibs can be damped three times. <laughs> We've done it three. And so we'll keep on top of this, everyone. But we seem to be sitting on lost 70s trove. And now I realise subconsciously that's where my song, which I am going to sing, oh. I will sing it. Is it in you? the style of T-Rex then? Yeah, up to a point. Uh, up to a point. It's more of a sea shanty. Oh! <laughs> but but I'll, I'll bring us that uh, as, as, as soon as you like. There's, as, of course there's plenty to get through. If you don't mind, I'll just do another one after it. Uh, uh, this is uh, from our friend Bob. Uh, and uh, I can't remember what kind of subject this fits under. But anyway, it says... Uh, my old man was a window cleaner, not houses, but commercial properties. Indeed, his first job after the war was the magnificent glass structure on St Pancras Station in London. With caustic solar, he burned off the paint covering the glass now that the blackout had ended. But that's another story. In the early 1960s, he managed to get himself a job as the resident window cleaner at the newly opened London Hilton on Park Lane. 
he worked there along with his cousin. At the time, remember, the Hilton was the place to stay for visiting Americans. One day, whilst cleaning out a prestigious penthouse, they found themselves inside Sammy Davis Jr.'s suite. Naturally, around the room were some of Sammy's props, so the old man, of course, was soon strutting his stuff with Sammy's top hat on his head and his cane and his white silk scarf slung around his neck. As he whisked off the scarf for the big finale he was singing, it somehow flew out of his hands across the suite and straight into his bucket of dirty water for cleaning windows. They quickly wrung out the scarf and put it back over the chair where they found it and legged it. As far as they know, Sammy Davis Jr. performed at the Palladium that night in his top hat and towels with this dirty old rag around his neck. Yep, there's no business like it. <laughs> Bravo, Bob. <laughs> of course you put on it. The window cleaners had to come in to do the insides. You see Sammy Davis's top hat and cane there. What is Hello. Gonna do? Give us something over there, Peps. Well, funny enough, um, we we had a socially distanced uh, street party last Friday for Did FIFA Day. And my neighbour, Beryl, who ran the John Denver fan club in the UK, oh. was telling me how she went to... Oh, she went and saw Sammy Davis Jr. several times, perhaps that very concert. Yeah. I will ask her if he was wearing a slightly damp-looking scarf <laughs> that night. But she wrote to him and told him that his show was wonderful and she'd enjoyed it more than the Sinatra one she'd been to a few yeah. weeks before. And he wrote back. And as a gentleman. Thank That's you. old school. Those uh, are proper stars. I was talking on Twitter about Sammy Davis, who probably, uh, uh, other than the Beatles and Bowie, uh, have... Uh, the most records of. Uh, 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 I think of that's why Beryl mentioned it. She she saw that you'd said it, and she, you had, she thought you had a distant street party. We did. You're, we all sat say this, on our I mean own front love. drives. I mean this from love. Your street sounds like a tyranny. <laughs> the other week you had to rush out, didn't you? Hold something else you were doing, and you've got a newsletter between you all. That sounds to oh, me yes. like a slice of hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very much not your street. No, very much not, not up my not street, street. That particular one. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is going back quite. Right away, this this is um, when we're uh, that is fine. All the subjects remain open, uh, and I'm afraid there's no name attached to this. I do apologise, but it was our old subject. Uh, what we were given as lines at school. Oh yes, uh, yeah. On the subject of being given lines, you never forget at school. Mr. Robertson, an English teacher and a singer in a soul band, once told me to write out 500 times, "Procrastination is the end of everything nature doth intend." It's Shakespeare, I believe. Anyway, it's an old subject, but I know your doors are always open. So he had to write out 500 times, procrastination is the end of everything nature doth intend, which is fine. But the bit that, of course, there's leaps out from that is Mr. Robertson, an English teacher and a singer in a soul band. Whoa! <laughs> I can't imagine any of my teachers, when I look back at them, they look like the cast of the happiest days of your life. Any of them at night, getting up there and giving, building up Buttercup. This was unbelievable that he had a teacher who was just an English teacher, but at night was a soul singer. Now, there are the secret lives of teachers. Um, I'll tell you this. Um, uh, Mr. Bullock, Peter Bullock, who I hope still with us, but it's unlikely. He, he seemed as old as Methuselah when he taught us, probably only in his 30s. Uh, but, uh, uh, and, uh, dear Mr. B., um, when we, because uh, our school was split into two halves, the lowest school and upper school, it's just a, you know, a, a, a comprehensive, but uh, uh, they could only take so many boys in West Greenwich Lower, and then you went to the other school, West Greenwich Upper, uh, two streets away. But when we left him, uh, we got together, which is kind of nice for a bunch of kids to do, to buy him a present. And I, to, I don't know why, said I'd seen in Deptford High Street a cruet set 
right? Um, mm -hmm. Which, again, like your pokers and all of that by <laughs> your fire, you don't often see a cruet set. No. The little tiny mustard with the little tiny spoon, uh, salt and pepper. And it was uh, a, a chrome. It was in chrome. And we bought it. And we took and we presented it to him. Now, uh, and I don't say this in, in, in inference, and, and God love him, but it was at the time because it's a minor wave of sensation. Because uh, we knew Miss, there was no Mrs. Bullock, we knew that. Uh, and, and 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 looking back, that, that then maybe nature wasn't listening in that way. We don't know until we gave him his cruet set, and he said, oh, "That is going to look lovely on our dinner table." And our dinner table? Now, no, absolutely fine. But we all thought, who's the hour? You know, and possibly it was in a, a civil partnership before they were known. Who knows? But I remember the cruet set unlocked just a glimpse into the <laughs> private life of Mr. Bullock. And never was there a braver teacher to be at a Deptford school with a name like Bullock. <laughs> I give you, I give you one guess at what his nickname was. Uh, something from you, Peps. Well, this uh, this has been sitting here for a while, so thank you for your patience, Darren in Scotland. This is um, jobs that no longer exist. Subtitle: Pride comes before a fall. <laughs> in the early eighties, after I left college at eighteen, I stumbled into a job as a board marker for a high street bookmaker. Hmm. This job has long since been replaced by the ubiquitous banks of computer screens. And in those days, it was strictly horses, dogs and football. My job was to put up the racing sheets at the start of the day using magnetic strips onto a huge whiteboard, the length of the shop. Then, as the odds were called out over the speakers, would write them next to the horses' names. Mm. After the race, I wrote out top finishers and starting prices for each. Anyway, part two. Pride comes before a fall. This job required certain accuracy, speed and precision. If you couldn't quickly work out whether 5 to 4 was shorter or longer than 72, the punters would give you a mouthful. If the counter staff, the bet settler or the punters couldn't read your writing, then you'd get abuse and ask not to work there again. I soon discovered I had a surprising talent for handwriting precision. My chiselled copper plate capital lettering engendered plaudits far and wide across, across Birmingham. Other bookies headhunted me for their shops. After one particularly busy Saturday, six race meetings, the shop I was working at was visited by the area manager. On his way out, he beckoned me over and gesturing towards the board said, is that your handiwork, lad? Yes, I beamed. He went on to say they were opening a new shop on 4th Street and could I come along and do the job for their opening day? I was delighted and boasted for the next couple of weeks about my accolade. At this point, I perhaps need to introduce the parallel story. Six months earlier, I had recommended a friend of my brother's, Ian, for the same job. He was a first-year art student and, once settled in on quieter days, amused himself by drawing sporting scenes on, on the areas of the whiteboard. Horses jumping fences with jockeys in silks, a greyhound emerging from the traps. Now, on the fateful Saturday that the area manager asked me to work at the new shop, there were several of Ian's images scattered around the shop, and because I was accustomed to them, I hardly noticed. Back to the new opening. The area manager and shop manager greeted me enthusiastically and said, here's the lad, you'll be impressed. Took me to one side, pointed at the whiteboards and said, right, so horses crossing a finishing line here, perhaps a Birmingham City striker scoring oh. a goal over there, and maybe an Aston Villa one on the other wall. The blood drained from my face as the penny dropped. He had mistaken me for Ian. Great and in my glowing pride, I had done nothing to disabuse him. <laughs> I started to drown in a sea of panic. 
I just nodded inanely. Not wishing to let the team down, I flicked through a few pages of sporting life and began amateurish attempts at replacing and replicating Ian's work. My horse and jockey looked like Peter Crouch on a Weimaraner. My greyhounds were wizened foxes chasing Bugs Bunny. <laughs> and my footballers looked more like the hunchback of Notre Dame. No amount of redrawing was making any difference. I now know how that Spanish lady must have felt after oh. renovating the portrait of Jesus. <laughs> My fate was sealed when the board marker arrived and wondered who this was messing around with marker pens. I handed them over, said, there you go, mate, and legged it. Yeah, yeah. I never mentioned this incident again and certainly didn't explain to Ian why he didn't get any return invitations to the new shops. I'm in my mid-50s and this is in my top five embarrassing moments. Well, he seems to be foisted on him there, perhaps, rather than actually, uh, you know, it wasn't his fault. And it does give us a subject. Have you ever had to bolt out of a job? Run out, <laughs> I've run out of a job. And I'll give us an if anyone out there who's ever, like our correspondent, had to leg it out of a job uh, because of a simple misunderstanding. Now, we're going to take a, 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 a little advert break, but before we do, I'm going to give you this song. Oh, what here you... we are. <laughs> There's a collective sound of heads going into hands there. But I, I don't know, what, what else can I do with it? What else can I do with it? McCartney woke up with that, that song, Scrambled Legs. Oh, baby, I love your legs. That was the original words when he woke up and did yesterday. Uh, so I, this came to me in the shower, possibly by that uh, T-Rex mail we had. And it's called I Live in the 70s. And, and bear with it. I, I'm not a songwriter, but I don't know what else to do with this. Now, uh, it, all right, it, I'm shrinking from this, you can tell. Okay. Shall I, I look away? Would that be I, helpful? No, no, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm all for, I just don't, I, I don't know what else to do with it. So I'm going to sing this, and, and this is a song I literally wrote in the shower before the show. Maybe the start of a brand new career. Everyone says, God knows you need it. Here we go. Uh, it says, I live in the 70s. <clears throat> I live in the 70s, charts full of Bowie and lots of cheese. I live in the 70s. Viva 71 I live in the 70s Where I first heard ABBA And first heard Squeeze I live in the 70s Viva 72 I live in the 70s Lots of Mark Bolans and Brian Ferries I live in the 70s Viva 73 Now, all I've got to do is come up with seven more verses and I've got something there. I've got something there. Because if you don't see yourself whistling that after this, <laughs> and when I come up with lots of Mark Bolans and Brian Ferries, <laughs> oh, I'm on a hot streak. We'll do some adverts. We'll be right back. Also from something else. Mel Gedroich is quilting. Listen to Mel and good friend Andy Bush as they learn a great new skill and tell some brilliant stories, all whilst having some good, wholesome fun. In a nutshell, I took a pair of scissors and I went into my husband's wardrobe. Now, this comes from a shirt that I bought him that I know he doesn't like. So I'm testing him by... Uh, uh, this is brilliant. Yeah, by finding out when he discovers Amazing. that the shirt has got a big patch out of the back of it. Wow, and which area of the shirt is this taken from? Bottom right. OK. <laughs> Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. 
Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And here we go again, uh, and, and I defy anyone not to have that I live in the I live in the <laughs> Now, uh, I know it's not a completed work yet. I'm no songwriter, but I now, of course, want the audience to suggest other verses for this, please. I've done all the heavy lifting. You're getting no credit for you it. You got up to 73? 73. But it, it, okay. it's chronology, the chronology's all over the place. But uh, but the idea that I think I've used all my rhymes up now for uh, uh, 70s, I've used lots of cheese. 78, I'd like cheese. to be particularly special, the year of my... Birth, okay, well, anything you yeah. can help us with there, and uh, who knows? In a few weeks, I might be able to do a full five-minute version of that song. Uh, I know it. I know it to build an audience. Uh, anyway, but <laughs> let, give us some other verses for that because that that was particularly something. I think. Uh, have you got something quick, perhaps, before we do yes. uh, bring in our, our caller? I have the um, the uh, monsters and illnesses your parents made up. Mm-hmm. Because this you've, is got from your Greg. Debs, you've got your Greg. You got your collie wobbles. Uh, uh, there, there, there's. Um, uh, I used to think St Vitus Dance was made up, but apparently that's uh. that's a real thing, St Vitus Dance. Uh, but those and I've, I know there were imaginary monsters that some people uh, will invent as well. What's that correspondence? Well, Greg Taylor's parents have obliged to encourage my brother and I to get to bed and settle down. My parents told us about the nine o'clock horses. If you weren't in your bedroom with teeth clean, door shut and perfectly quiet before 9pm, you would be whisked away by the nine o'clock horses. These horses would hear any noise in your bedroom and, if it was after nine o'clock, galloped up the stairs, put you on their backs and rode off. Wow! Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that and then uh, uh, originate it as a children's book. It's brilliant. That is brilliant. I mean, there always was the thing um, in our house, the, uh, in the, the flat, the, the toilet was upstairs, and I don't think I'm alone in thinking I had to get back downstairs before the flush stopped or some Ooh. kind of, yeah, the bear would get me. Uh, I, I used to think I was alone in that, but Peter Cook says it in a sketch, or Dudley Moore actually says it in the sketch, uh, that if I don't get back downstairs by the time the flush stops, something terrible is going to happen to me. No! Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, you have to put some edge on it, even even a simple function like going to the toilet. Uh, so um, any of you, those you have as well were taken, so what we're after is uh, more verses for I Live in the 70s, uh, certainly um, uh, uh, rituals you've inflicted on yourself, and there was something in the first half, I can't remember now anyway. But uh, we have a caller, don't we, Pepper? We do, we have Michael. Mm-hmm. Hey, Michael. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Yeah, thank you. Very good as gold, Michael. Um, uh, when you listen to this back, apart from being absolutely appalled at the edit- editing job we've done on your best story, uh, yes. we will, um, <laughs> we will, uh, you'll hear my song just before the break. I think we're oh, on to good. something here. <laughs> it's, the very fir- it's the very first song I've ever written, and uh, uh, it's not the first song I was on. I'm on, I'm on several records, but uh, uh, I'd like your opinion on it. So, uh, All right, Michael, okay, yeah. 
what are you tug- what are you tugging our coat today? What have you got for us? Well, it was um, when a few weeks ago you did. Uh, were you ever given lines at school? Um, yes, indeed. The the story. I'll t- tell a story before I get to what the line was. Um, uh-huh. Here comes the edit. Anyway, go on. here comes the edit. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, when in primary school, it's funny because I, I seem to have committed all my crimes when I was a kid at primary school rather than later. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. But when when at primary school, I think I was about nine or ten, uh, me and my friends on the way home from school, there was this sort of about a mile-long path um, from one road right up to the other. It was a footpath. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I live in High Wycombe, and it was all the uh, wood factories uh, were below us. So along this footpath, um, it was about, like I say, about a mile long, and on there was a sort of a 10-foot fence and with a 20-foot drop on the other side down to uh, Urkel's Furniture Factory. Um, and we used to, and we Urkel. used to, Urkel's. Urkel's. Yes. yes. Spell Urkel's. How is Urkel being spelled? Uh, E-R-C-O-L-S. I've never heard of furniture, surely. Surely. No, I never heard of Urkel's furniture. No, 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 I, I, I don't want to get. Don't, 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 don't let it's it get century around. stuff, isn't that what they call it now? It, I don't know. Well, don't let it get around. Where, where do you buy all your stuff oh, then? IKEA? <laughs> No, no, no. Yes. Deptford High Street. You could, you could buy everything in Deptford High Street. Certainly in Phantom. Uh, but as, um, so here we are. You're walking along this path. Yeah, long yeah. With, with my friends. With, yeah, with with my friends. So it was a sort of a ten foot fence with about a twenty foot drop on the other side. Um, and along here, there was about halfway. There was a footpath um, between the factories um, because behind Urkel's was G Plan, and you. Used to, there was used to be a footpath across the railway down to another school. Um, so that was about halfway along. But also along there, on the opposite side of the footpath to the factories, was uh, where we lived. And there was a back gate to be able to sort of get up to our house. So we used to walk along this footpath. But as you went along, there was this waste patch of ground where there used to be beetroot, wild beetroot growing. Now... I've got to tell you, my head's swimming. My head is swimming with the map. I've got a perfect mind map of highways. And now I'm onto the beetroot. I'm wondering if I'm hearing this at all. Wild beetroot. Yes, I know, I know. I, I was a bit... I didn't... We didn't realise, really, what it was at the time until we had to write our lines out at school and then we discovered, actually, what it was that we'd been throwing over the fence at the workers on their forklift trucks. With <laughs> this, yeah, this wild beetroot growing in the wasteland. We used to just pick Delicious up... Delicious wild beetroot. They, they, yep. they cost you about 95 quid these days in a street market. You oh, threw but... them at fellas on stack. Yeah, well, we used to lob them over the 10-foot fence and try and hit these guys carrying their wood along on their forklift trucks. And they used to you know splatter. It, it, Michael, can I tell you that, 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 that in, in, in Nintendo, that kind of what they called it, if you put that on a, a Switch, people, that would be a sensation. It'd be like the Angry Birds thing again. But you have lived it. I know, I know. It's, it's so realistic as well, isn't it? This vision yeah, of yeah. us lobbing this beater. I, I cannot think why we did it originally, but it, I t- it was fun. Nine-year-old boys, that's why. Exactly. Hang on. Exactly. Blokes on stacker trucks. Yep, but the, the great thing was that these guys, of course, couldn't get near us. 
I mean, they were way down there and we were completely safe on this footpath until after a little while, um, they stuck one man at one end of the footpath and another at the other end and some guy in the middle. And as we were lobbing this stuff over, thinking it was just so funny, these guys moved in on us and then finally caught us. And then at school, we uh, they obviously found out which school we went to, and I had to sit with my friends in the hall writing a hundred times, I will not throw beetroot at the workers of the factory. And that is when I found out... <laughs> <laughs> that is when I found out it was beetroot because we didn't know what it was that we'd been throwing. But, and that's how I discovered it was beetroot. The, 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 the teacher sat around, what, what, what should make them right? And talk about the absolute, the, the, the bald-faced truth. I shall not throw beetroot at the workers in of the, the factory. factory. Yeah, I know. Soviet Russia for that. I know, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> I'd like to think, though, that when uh, 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 when the, the security people who, who nicked you went back to the factory, they were furious. So, what'd you do that for? Well, he said, I'm not going to get any beetroot now. My missus wakes me every Thursday night. We have a beautiful salad, and you stop that. You were doing yeah. the heavy lifting for well, them. If we could have only found a few cabbages and carrots and things, they could have had a meal, couldn't they? <laughs> well, bless you, Michael. Well, thank you very much indeed for that. That's all right. That's all right. Great. Great show, by the way. Great well, show. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Michael. See, See you soon. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, so, perhaps, uh, I, 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 until that point, I'd never considered wild beetroot. No. Imagine what you'd get for that now. Man. Foraged. Foraged. Foraged, foraged wild exactly. Beetroot, locally please. sourced foraged beetroot. <laughs> How about this from Sue? Here it is. Here we go. Uh, this is from Sue. Uh, I know you don't expect your listeners to send in. Uh, documented evidence of their tales but in this instance the young one is over a hundred years old so I thought it might be appreciated now obviously we can't deliver that here and stuff but it'd probably be on the Instagram thing Uh, like last week the um, clairvoyant thing about the they got in touch she did a drawing of this man he never met and we saw that you can see it there but this backs up the story she says it concerns my great grandfather Ernie Crisp I know. I, I can never knuckle down and just get straight through a story. Too much fascinates me and everything. Ernie Crisp. There's plenty there. The, Quintin's elder brother, plainly. Uh, I was, my, my good friend when I was little was Ernie Finn. I don't think you really... Oh, like nice Mickey name. Finn. This is all coming round now. Anyway, let's start it again. Sober up. It concerns my great-grandfather, Ernie Crisp, and a... <laughs> it concerns my great-grandfather, Ernie Crisp, and the story and photographs that appeared about him in the Daily Sketch on Tuesday, the 11th of June, 1912. The story was about his tame blackbird called Joe that he talked to whistle. Oh, everyone plump up a big old cushion. <laughs> this is going to be something, ain't it? Uh, the feature alongside the item on how a Cunard had declined to accept remuneration from the White Star Line for their services in rescuing survivors of the Titanic. That's the feature next to it. It also, the same page, says about a visit from the Duchess of Sutherland to Paddington Workhouse, where she had a guard of honour made of several baby inmates. Yes, they used the word baby inmates, who sat on tiny chairs and looked very happy. Anyway, this is not the part of the story I was going to tell, but it's all good. (laughs) You know, sometimes they can go on, but when you're hearing about the Cunard line and baby inmates. So she says, back to Ernie who ran a hardware shop in Walthamstow. The article says, 
When the Daily Sketch went to photograph Joe, our photographer gave Joe... This is the Blackbird, by the way, not Ernie Crisp. When the photographer went to photograph Joe, the photographer gave him a couple of worms, whereupon Joe whistled notes that Walthamstow residents understand to mean, are you working? And she puts brackets and says, I've no idea what this means. And I don't. No. I mean, is it like... I don't know what it would be. But she says, in 1912, there was a, a phrase you could whistle that basically meant, are you working? Uh, so they, anyway, it continues. The photographer took the hint, and while he was busy setting up his camera, Joe next struck up, if you want to know the time, ask a policeman. Now, they're very soothing here. There's a blackbird singing, if you want to know the time, ask a policeman. Two other dancing titles were also given admirable time and tune in response to a call for an encore. Joe then whistled very clearly, the old folks at home. He sang it in a swinging style. <laughs> Remember, I'm quoting from a 1912 daily sketch here. And, and Sue finishes. My grandfather Ernie was quite a colourful character all round. Family legend has it he used to catch sparrows and dye them yellow and sell them as canaries. So maybe this story is not entirely true, but they'll have the daily sketch about it and he did have 10 kids to feed. So how about that from Sue? Wow. In, in a swinging style, I think. He sang, uh, not only did he do this phrase that means, are you working? He sang, if you want to know the time, ask a policeman. And then as an encore, sang the old folks at home in a swinging style. Thank you very much indeed, Sue. Nothing's cheering me up like that. Something from you, Peps. This from Vince, and he's just called it Touristy Things, which I think we did do something vaguely yes, about we did. tourism. Yeah. yeah, we did. Whilst on holiday in Greece with my devout and quite serious parents, we spent a delightful early afternoon with a relatively liquid lunch. My mother then announced we were in desperate need of culture and had a plan. And it was for this reason we found ourselves walking through the doors of an ancient Orthodox church. The coolness of the air, the motes of dust dancing in the shafts of light and iconography were all that any tourist seeking, seeking religious comfort could ask for. My mother oohed and aahed as I propped up what I was now aware was my rather inebriated father who was swaying as if aboard a vessel on the high seas. My mother was in a loose summer dress and hat. I was in linen trousers and a crisp white t-shirt and my father a 70 year old ex-Midland bank manager sporting a rather garish pair of swimming shorts and a t-shirt emblazoned with a clown drinking from a large cocktail fishbowl not his choice of clothing but the result of losing to me in an ill-tempered game of cards the previous evening we turned a corner in the church and were immediately accosted by a diminutive and very vocal old lady clad head to toe in black who was very unhappy after berating us for a few moments, she thrust, it, she thrust some folded black linen into my father's hands and in broken English said, where? Yeah. My father raised himself up, offered a grave nod of understanding and gave the practice smile of a man who'd run a banking new cross <laughs> and reverentially took the linen and with due solemnity placed it on his head. Oh. <laughs> Satisfied he had re restored our family's reputation and calmed her, he added a theatrical nod that wobbled slightly as he tried to hold his head covering in place. Rather than being soothed, the little lady was now apoplectic and in, vo in a voice one could not imagine befitting of God's house, called for a young, large man to come over and deal with us. He loomed over my father and removed the linen from his head. Then muttering something, looked down at my father's head covering and shook it to reveal it was indeed a pair of trousers. 
It was my father's shorts that were deemed disrespectful, and the old lady wanted him to retain the decorum. My father placed a shaking hand on my shoulder to steady himself while he stepped into the trousers while the lady left shaking her head. My father was mortified, my mother embarrassed, and the little old lady kept a beady eye on us for the rest of our visit. Yeah, the, I thought it was the T-shirt doing it, but it was actually the, the stride, just putting the putting him on his nut. <laughs> this is, a, uh, as you said earlier on in the show, we are uh, asking for, why would you buy a baby that? This is from Andy in New Zealand. When our first son was born, the first baby in the family for 10 years, my father-in-law and mother-in-law presented their newborn grandson and their only daughter with 24 used Reader's Digest magazines. Nothing else, no flowers, no baby clothes, just 24 old Reader's Digest copies. The relationship never recovered. Now that seems pointed. Why would you give a baby 24 Reader's Digest? Which I understand is still going. I, I had no idea, but it's still going. Got a quick one there, Peps? I like to think that somewhere a charity shop received the most beautiful gift for a newborn child instead of the reader's <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's, there a doctor's, just... there's a doctor's waiting room with a, a selection of rattles on it. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. This, quick is, to you, perhaps. this is from Mike. Um, it happened while swimming. He said two stories. Well, well give us one. We've, we've gassed on enough. Oh, okay. darling. Well, let's go one. with the second one. It starts a bit wobbly but we're okay my wife's mum has multiple sclerosis and is in a wheelchair but we don't like her to miss out when on holiday our niece got married in cyprus so all of my wife's family and she's one of five rented villas during a lovely afternoon at our brother-in-law's villa our wife's oldest sister wendy decided that her mum should join the grandchildren in the pool she insisted we'd always taken her out in the water in a rubber ring in italy and her late husband had had no problem lifting her in and out not to be outdone, my wife's brother Robert and I helped lower Hazel out of her wheelchair into the rubber ring. Success! Very happy. The grandkids very amused about Nanny being in the water. After it was noted, after a while, that she was starting to slip through the ring and we had to get her out. Nobody factored in the drop between pool, edge and water. Pushing from below, heaving from above, six of us managed to roll her up and out, everyone laughing throughout. When we asked Wendy, the eldest sister, how her husband had done this all alone in Italy, she suddenly said, ah, now we only did it off the sand on the beach and back again. <laughs> Looked a bit hard getting her out of the pool. Please note, Hazel was amused, is still with us and had her 80th birthday last year. Well, bravo. A pool party. Bravo, Hazel. There's a piece of film which one day I'll upload. Uh, I always meant to show it on the tours. And uh, 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 my very good friend, Jeff Pope, the writer, we were, both families are on holiday, and he was delivering um, to my son a gag. You, you've seen this, you've met <laughs> my daughter put it online once, yes. <laughs> he's talking, he's had a couple of drinks, and he's saying uh, an amusing piece to camera while he's in the pool with his arms against the side of the pool, and he's turned to Mancy, and he's saying, oh, yes, here we all are in, uh, I think we were in Florida, and the weather's hot, and he was doing some little diatribe in his cups, and in the background, uh, I walk into the shot. I've got no idea that they're filming. And I was convinced that the steps to the pool were there. And you just see me, an absolute, like, Stan Laurel, just keep walking. And the shock on my face as I hit the water and then come up again. And I forgot how to tread water and everything. And I'm going, oh, oh. And Jeff's thinking he's getting all these laughs for his speech. And I'm going, oh, oh. But yeah, I just was convinced that the stairs were there. I disappeared. 
I disappear on the water. But it's the third time up, and I'm going, oh, oh. confused as to what on earth is happening. Anyway, oh, when, uh, when Mansi posted that, I think I watched it 20 times in a row. It, I know, it's I must. The happiest uh, thing I've ever seen. We're one, one of these days when I'm, uh, uh, when we have a, a second tier on this, it will be accessible along with all my songs. But in the meantime, start the theme music if you would, Phil. One, two, three, four. Three, Climb up, go in, let's cozy down Wave goodbye to that silly frown As we chase our cares away In the treehouse The fire's on, it's warm inside We guarantee you'll be satisfied As we laugh the day away In the treehouse Take it away, Danny! Always do, Wisby, and of course, a tremendous thanks to my co-host Louise Napoleon Pepper on the other side of town, Phil Wilding, who's the devil's own job always of uh, collating this into a coherent mass. Uh, everyone over at Something Else for giving us this platform, but as always, chiefly yourselves. I'll see you Saturday. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.